Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focused on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I am your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we recorded live at this past weekend's Independence Day Festival. I sat down with the artist Brian Christopher Moss to discuss his background, how he works, why he calls himself the greatest living artist, how we can make Columbus a hub for visual art, and also discuss the new show that's up at the Wexner Center for the Arts. You can get more information on Brian and other things we discuss in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Julep, opening in the short north. You can check out the newly renovated space and bar uh, coming up this Friday, September 23rd, and sample their craft kitchen menu. Tickets are available for their sneak peek event again this Friday, September 23rd, right now at columbusunderground.com. If you are interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us at info at theconfluencecast.com. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Brian Christopher Moss, educator, artist, muralist. Columbus native. We are recording live here at Independence Day 2016, stuck into a corner of a parking lot with a large map (laughs) that denotes the donk sightings uh, in and around Columbus, Ohio. Everyone is sort of looking at us. We we are not sort of amplified to the crowd, so we just look like uh, sports commentators that no one can hear sort of talking about what's going on. So if at some point we stop and say oh my gosh, look at that crazy man. It's because we're recording live at Independence Day. Brian, how are you? Doing well. Um, what should we do if we get a inquisitive donker? Someone, Will someone, we ignore them? Someone asking about donks? Yeah. Uh, no, we can stop. I can edit that out. Uh, it's fine. That's okay. I think we should ignore them or chastise them for asking why we're on a podcast. Right. We should say, look at the sign. We are podcasting right now. <laughs> and we should ask for the ID and dox them. Right. Brian, you're a Columbus guy. Can you, first of all, just give a little background? Most, I, I imagine, don't know your full backstory. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up on the south side of Columbus, um, where, based upon the donks map, uh, there's a lot of donks down there. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I grew up on the south side of Columbus, uh, born in 81, 1981. And um, so, yeah, born in uh, south side of Columbus, Ohio. Columbus City Schools. Yeah, Columbus City Schools. Um, if you're familiar with uh, Stewart Elementary, it's in German Village. I live south of there. So grew up in an impoverished environment. Uh, this is the 80s, so stereotypical what things you would see on TV, which consist of, like, you know, dilapidated homes, uh, drugs-infested communities, those kind of things. Um I had a solid family, you know, mom, dad, I got four sisters, half brother. Was the, 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 the drug, and I imagine what comes along with it, the crime, was that something that you were exposed to a lot? Exposed to visually, but wasn't affected by just because I'm a kid and not, my family didn't involve themselves in that. So okay. they had a, a healthy education. My father has his master's in English. Um, it's just due to hard times, you know, kind of thing. Okay. Now what, what did your father do? Um, he was at that point a mechanic, um, but when he graduated school, he was a teacher, 
an English professor, I think at the Indian at Indiana University, whatever their state school is. Okay. Uh, and your mother? Uh, just house, you know, housewife kind of thing. Okay. You know, she had part-time jobs here and there. Brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. Yep. I got four, of all, four sisters, so I'm the middle. And then I have a half-brother um, from my mother's previous marriage. So he's white, which is interesting because I'm biracial. It should be noted that you are biracial. Yeah. Uh, you can't see that. <laughs> right. And so how did you get into visual art? Actually, that's a pretty, that's a good question, as they would say. When I started kindergarten, uh, Stewart Elementary, across the street from there is a, is a recreation center called Schiller Park. So my mother started sending us over there. My sisters, I would just say, actually my siblings, they were already going there. And then as part of the process, when I went to kindergarten, we also, I went also went over there with my sisters. So... I, um, and this is a standard rec center. Yeah, nothing gy- special. Gymnasium, yeah, activity so I was, rooms. Yeah, so at this point, it's just doing gymnastics and art. Um, but by first grade, I was fully committed to doing art. So I was just doing art class, art class, art class. By first grade? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I knew exactly what I was going to do when I got older. Um, and so I would go after school. So that's around 3.15, 3.30. And I would stay there till like 6, 6.30. So three hours, three and a half hours a day times five times uh first grade or kindergarten transitioning into fifth grade so that's a lot of art absolutely Mm -hmm. uh and so talk about sort of you transitioning that into you know what did you do post high school and sort of where Mm -hmm. I, i know the backstory so i'm sort of teeing it up for you right what was your sort of situation once you were uh you know an adult or you know a teenager in high school was pretty interesting because it was pretty dynamic. Once I got out of high school, there was an option, you know, going to CCAD. And initially when I enrolled, um, this is through the transition of my parents having an eviction on their home. So I was essentially homeless. Okay. Uh, I was couch surfing, living on my sister's couch, enrolled in school. And then that's when I found out it wasn't really for me. You know, it was like, not that this How do you mean? How do you mean that it wasn't this, really for you? This, it wasn't necessarily that CCAD wasn't um, like I couldn't take anything away from it. It was more the socialization. So I felt like an adult amongst kids. And that's not a knock towards, you know, people that come from the country or from the suburbs. But that being said, it was pretty obvious that this was a... Um, I had a lot more experience than they had. Are you saying that you were already a working artist at that point? Right. Okay. Yeah. So what happened is that once I realized that that wasn't the direction I was going to go, I was already doing commercial work by that point. So what happened is that somebody saw my work out from LA and then that's when I started getting contracts to do storyboards for pilots. Um, that's where it started. So I started, um, making a pretty good income at it probably by i'd say 20 you know and you had not uh did you enroll in ccd immediately after high school um it was like a year there was like a year gap you had a gap year yeah Mm -hmm. that's what the young white girls say (laughs) is that that what they call it (laughs) took a gap year and i traveled (laughs) yeah yeah my traveling was trying to find a place to live so you arrived at CCD. Sort of, I'm going to put words in your mouth. That's oh, you fine. Sort of, you know, discuss, uh, I have had friends who were working artists who who had been told multiple times that they sort of needed to professionalize their education background if they ever wanted to be something more than an outsider artist. 
And so they go to CCAD and they discover that they're forced to sort of take this survey of classes, which is not bad. I think if you're right. uh, in visual arts, certainly you need to have at least an understanding and an appreciation of of at least the primary visual arts, mm-hmm. the, foundational, the foundation. Yeah, the foundation. But that's a lot, one, of time. That's an entire year mm-hmm. of your schooling. And two, it's not cheap. Um, even though, uh, you know, student loans may cover your education, they may even cover your housing. For someone who is transitioning from being essentially homeless uh which you know you can you 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 can put a nice coat of paint on it and say that you were couch surfing but you were homeless Mm -hmm. um coming from that environment and being expected to purchase watercolors right purchase uh nice uh notebooks Mm -hmm. purchase everything else that you have to purchase in order to pursue uh, visual arts that frankly you're not very interested in purchasing you know that big ass block of clay right that sort of thing well, yeah it's funny because there's this very specific story to that i remember when they said oh you have to get the foundation kit and i'm like okay and you see the bill for it and how, how much is the foundation kit <laughs> 1200 okay and i was like well i don't have 1200 dollars, obviously so i go to the i think it's like the financial office or something like that and, you know, they're dealing with, like, hundreds of kids like me, like, blind and naive and, right. you know. <laughs> so they're like, I'm like, I can't buy this kit. How do I do this? And they give you, like, a voucher for, like, it was, like, half of it or something okay. like that. So that was, like, all the money I owed CCAD because I, like, left, got the voucher. And I had a credit card at the time. That's how I was, like, living. So you got the kit. Yeah, I bought the kit. Um, and then I, right after that, I'm like, okay, if, I, if it was a struggle for me to get this kit, and to like do this and it was like stressing me out and i was like i have no attachment or association or like there was no kinship with the fellow students i'm like no this is like the worst for de- worst decision for me ever right so i said okay uh let's rethink this right maybe this isn't the path that i want to be going down exactly and so talk about sort of your professional life since then you 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 continue to do uh commission work Mm-hmm. For primarily storyboards. Yeah, that was the the big where the main money was coming in. So I was doing storyboards, and they would submit this stuff to like um, all the networks. You know, they had a inroad because they were working with agents. So I was just basically a subcontractor. Okay. Um. So it's actually a really cool thing because um, working in that position, um, even though you're not getting the credit that you would if something got made, you're still part of a team that values you. Right. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And you're working remotely. Yeah, I'm spending L.A. money in Columbus. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was able to live, right? Right. <laughs> so then that's when I realized, like, this whole, like, idea of, like, going to school to be an artist. But, like I said, I was doing – I'm the exception. I was doing this since, like, six, seven. Um, so I kind of had a different rule set or skill set that applied that being said, um, the other kind of work I was doing at the time was for albums, promotions for theaters, um, basically anything um, commercial, because that was when I was more illustri- illustration heavy. And so for, for those that are not aware, for those that sort of like view like drawings and, and, and graphic design and stuff as sort of like, oh, that's art. There's right. a big difference between uh, visual art slash fine art and commercial art. Mm-hmm. Little A and big A. Okay, <laughs> that's an excellent way to put it. So, what 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 is the difference for okay. those that aren't aware? Okay, so ju- we'll just we're we're bringing it down to basics. Okay, here. cool, no worries. Yeah, so it's like 
little a because it's like i respect them both as big a's let's get that clear like right. this isn't my view i'm speaking completely like academic and like collective decision uh definitions you know okay so little a would be like your tattoo artist your comic book artist comic book artists are in this transition of where it's starting to be respected by academia right but still it's still little a well, and especially in columbus given the cartoon research right library. it's a nice vehicle yeah um you're like uh, Kinko style print guys, you know, um, your graffiti guys. That's all little A. Big A is, you know, museums, galleries, and it's very specific galleries. Not even, we're talking blue chip galleries, you know, so we're talking galleries that have world worldwide reps right well galleries that have representation at art fairs like art basel and, exactly exactly uh, not necessarily some of the galleries here maybe yeah i mean but the, the 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 big a art in columbus is the stuff that frankly a lot of times isn't being produced in columbus it's uh but but the work that you would see at places like the wexner center or the museum of art right exactly and like your your um regional or some of the, the the public art that we have right yeah yeah completely and it's cool because like things are opening up now but yeah so based upon these definitions and ideas you know your it's specifically your blue chip galleries is when you transition to your big a okay. museums um i think we'll be there's a rumor we'll be having a blue chip gallery here soon i don't want to speak too much about that okay but there's a rumor about that like a satellite location or uh sort of actually it'll, it'll be based out of here um and based upon someone who has a really healthy collection <laughs> we'll just say that give it given that we're going to take a quick break uh and get a word from our sponsor Today's episode is sponsored by Julep, opening in the short north. You can check out this new bar in a newly renovated space this Friday, September 23rd, and sample their craft kitchen menu. Tickets are available for this sneak peek right now at columbusunderground.com. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us at info at theconfluencecast.com. Back to the interview. We're back with Brian Christopher Moss, uh, visual artist, muralist, educator. Um, Brian, so we, we have talked through sort of your, your childhood, both early and late, uh -huh. uh, and the difference between uh, commercial art and fine art, what you refer to as the, the big A and little A. Um, talk about sort of the work that you've done in adulthood and sort of how you view your, your identity as an artist in Columbus. Like okay. you've worked as a docent at the Columbus Museum of Art. Yeah, I'm uh, doing that now. And I also currently am um, serving a residency at Wexner Center okay. through the Pages program. Okay. Talk about the Pages program for those that aren't familiar. Okay. Yeah, the Pages program is a literacy-based program uh, Dion Custer, uh, it's her program. She's been, this will be the 11th year. Um, and what it is, it's an outreach program for literacy. So the schools, and so Dion picks, selects 10 schools through application. And then I, as the artist, and then there's a few other ones, there's a writer, and then there's a poet. We'll go out into the community, into these schools, and then create dialogues and narratives based upon our disciplines. So in this case, uh, Wexner has an exhibition, Black Mountain College. Which we will talk about in a bit. Mm-hmm. And that 
is what I'll be talking to the students about, and then we'll be I'll be facilitating activities. Well, actually, art, not and activities. So, right. A big and difference. so what you what what happens is they bring in uh, these artists slash educators who uh, sort of present ideas to students and then have the students respond through writing. Mm-hmm. Whether that be talking about how the visual art makes them feel, or I imagine with the poet, it's a lot more direct of doing a sort of you know uh, poetry uh, exercise, um, and uh, it's a fantastic program. They actually produce uh, a compendium of the students' works uh, that I think is available somewhere. You can uh, if, if you have it, access to a site. If it is, uh, it'll be linked in the show notes for this episode. Uh, talk about sort of you know the, the the choices that you've made in order to remain a working artist in Columbus. The biggest thing is probably not to join a group. Okay. Um, and I don't say that in a negative sense because there's a lot of groups here. So what, right, the, I don't want and, them to and hang for, me. Right. Well, for those that aren't aware, what are some of the groups that you like? 400 West Ridge. Yeah, which is uh, where we're at now. Which is where, where we're at right this moment, which isn't necessarily a group. But yeah, it's it like is, a collective. But it is an is art. A, 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 well, it's a building that houses a whole bunch of artist studios. Right. Um, so not necessarily a collective. Mm-hmm. But uh, Couch Fire Collective, which used to be housed at Junction View Studios, is certainly considered a group. Right. Um, uh, the Ohio Art League is certainly considered a group. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Why do you say... That, that you've decided to not align yourself with one individual group? Uh, because what happens is, like, it's, it's a great thing to be part of a community, which I feel I'm a part of. What happens is that you have a couple of things. You have something called groupthink, okay. which as an artist and an, an individual is probably the worst thing for you. And the reason for that is because if we're in a room of 10 people and we collectively agree to do a show based upon something it's always going to be a compromise. So okay. when there's no direct leader, um, then that's when it becomes, and then what if you don't agree with the leader? Right? Okay. So that's where that becomes toxic, dealing with groupthink. Then furthermore, um, what happens is that there's less vulnerability, there's protection, and so you're not thinking. You're not being as daring as you could be. Right. Yeah, you definitely have to, it's like, being an artist is kind of like having your back to the wall constantly and there's only one way out you know um it's like your last fight always and so you have to be able to be nimble fluid and being able to adapt to situations quickly so if i have a location to go to constantly where i'm being validated anywhere from two people to a hundred people then that's potentially a problem as an artist okay one thing that you've said to me in the past has sort of been uh um Know your value mm-hmm. and value your agency. Yeah. I think that that totally speak. I think the valuing your agency, meaning mm-hmm. independence, right. speaks to not joining a group and sort of being defined by, I'm Brian Christopher Moss from XYZ Group. Um, talk about sort of uh, uh, knowing your value, though. With that aspect, um, because a lot of times people undersell themselves so we can speak literally first okay um and the thing about that is that you have to be smart about pricing your art showing your art these kind of things um so a good example of this was that there was a cat show um literally meow cat mm -hmm, okay here at 400 um it raised a lot of money it was really cool very productive for the community um, I'm kind of priced out of that market, but I was invited by Angela Jan to show there, and okay. she's a dear friend of mine. So I'm like, sure, of course, cool. 
Um, but what I have to do then at that point is readjust. So I have to draw smaller. So it's literally like we're speaking literally about value now, like right. cost. Okay. Well, and square, so, square inches of art. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that is, I'm being very little right now. Now let's jump to like the symbolic, right? Knowing your values, like having a confidence and understanding that you're not going to do work for free one. Right. Um, and two, to value what you do. So you have to understand that what you're creating is unique to you and it's corny right because it's like oh yes we're all unique <laughs> stardust we're, we're, or snowflakes we're all pretty know? snowflakes and or butterflies <laughs> yeah. so but it's actually true so what you offer and what you bring to the table is very specific so and then you have to and what i mean by value also is you have to produce good work you have to meet the public where they're at so you just can't produce work that's underwhelming or not interesting and expect the public to like respect you. So like it doesn't work that just because you can make art doesn't mean that you should have value. I'm always interested in sort of the nuts and the bolts and the economics of things. Right. So how do you do you sort of price your work for uh, you know this is what this is what the market slash economy will bear, or do you price it in such a way that you're like okay, for if I work a forty hour week that is simply producing work, or if I work a uh, a week where I'm doing 20 hours of actually producing work. I'm doing 10 hours of marketing and then 10 hours of like, you know, stretching canvases and like putting the finishing touches on things, which is also production, but it's not generating art. Right. Do you price your work in such a way of like, okay, I know I can make three works with that amount of time and this is how much I need to live. Right. Um, I used and to then, of course, there's the, the fees on top of it. It's like, you know, what you're giving to a show, uh, what you're giving to a gallery. Is that how you price it? Or is it simply how much could I get? Right. No, I used to price it that way um, by the hour, you know, like okay. of my time, you know. Um, but if you're selling art, you know, let's go back to that blue chip gallery. If you yeah. already have a gallery that's representing you and everything's going to be sold out, that's fine and dandy. But when you're only selling a piece every week or a couple, you know, and it fluctuates. You now, are you, are you represented? No, I do not have anyone representing me. I would love to. Okay. But, my, I, I, but my the thing is. Tim Fulton. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you, Tim. <laughs> but the, the issue, just as a side note real quick, uh, with galleries and stuff like that, usually I prefer to be invited just because, like, you don't want to go putting yourself in the position, going back to valuing yourself, your right. agency. It's like. Right. If you're begging, 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 then you give that person power, the gallery. And the gallery may not have your best interest or they may not promote you. And you might be in a contract to where you're stuck. Okay. So that's a very bad position to be in. But it works out for a lot of people um, very well based upon what the direction they're going. Because well, they're you, not multiple disciplinary. Right. Well, and you'd like to assume that a gallery wouldn't sign you up, lock you into a contract, and then not be working for your best interest but that may very well happen oh yeah no no it happens all the time because um like the the reality of like the art market is that um in any city there's a, a glass ceiling of of call of what somebody will pay okay right. and that is what i learned really quickly so give so, me an example of that okay so i'm priced out i have to paint smaller now okay so when i paint larger it gets and we're not talking really large we're talking three to four feet okay it, that turns into like a six to eight thousand dollar painting. Okay. Um, there's there's no market independently for myself that supports that, so I have to paint smaller. Um, well, and there's not. I mean, there are buyers at that level here, but they're not. They're going through galleries. They're going through galleries, and there's probably two dozen. 
And this is the other thing. This is something I learned really quickly. And I was told through this by this guy who is, I respect to this name. Um, his name is Brian Maloney. He said, okay, let's change it to a housing market. If I was a millionaire, why would I buy houses in a ghetto or like, you know, $5,000 houses? Right. When I can buy a house in New Albany and make more money. Right. So it's like, why would I buy um, so local? So compare that to art. Yeah. Then. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very basic because people aren't buying art because they like it. They're buying it as an investment. Right. You know, so you have to deal with these realities really quickly. Um, Do you think that's true? I mean, I know I, 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 as sort of a passive collector, own, you know, anywhere from uh, works that I've spent maybe $40 on. And I have a couple of pieces that I've spent under 1000 but I value those works very right. higher, frankly, than the pieces I spent $40 right. on. Right. But that goes back, back to that glass ceiling. There's that market that can only support a certain, you know, amount. In your case, it's $1,000. Right. 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 So, um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you going back to that idea of like why I stopped doing by the hour is because um, I got quicker. Okay. So the, my speed equal, equals my quality. So I can produce a show in a couple of weeks that has the same quality as somebody that could produce in a year. Well, and that has a very easy, uh, you can equate that very easily to sort of economics in that uh, you're a worker who, when you're in a job for a longer period of time, you become more efficient. Right, exactly. And that doesn't mean that that person should be paid right. the same amount <laughs> right. for yeah. their hour of work. It means that they should be paid for the amount that they're producing. Here's a great like saying they always say. It's like somebody will produce work and they'll, and they'll go, I'm supposed to pay you $6,000 for this painting you did in an hour. It's like, yeah, an hour and 35 years. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck off at that point, man. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, with that being said, um, now I just work um, because I still I came from a blue collar background. So it's one of those things. My dad's a mechanic. Right. Right. So it's one of those things where it's like art. I still view it as a pre Renaissance time. Like, well, even during the Renaissance, it's a trade. Okay. I view art as a trade. I don't view art. I don't romanticize it. I don't think of it as like, oh, I'm going to paint a painting because I'm inspired by the weather. I mean, I, I am. I'm inspired by nature. But that doesn't, I can put that in my brain and save it and then go to the studio and paint 12 hours. So you have done commercial work, which, as you've stated, is, is sort of small a work. How do you view your identi identity as an artist now? And sort of teeing it up, where do you view yourself in 10 years? It's it's actually interesting because this art game is actually very taxing. And because when you get a job and you're known for like speed or consistency, people want it quickly. You know, they want it turned out really fast. And if you have other projects going on. So honestly, in 10 years, um, I see myself painting for myself and not selling any artwork. I plan on retiring. Now, is that the reality? I don't know, but that's where I plan on being. So, how, how would you get there? Um, take the money I'm making now okay. and investing it in stocks. So give, <laughs> give, give me some... I'm going to open a coffee shop. Like, <laughs> given your you know blue-collar background, again, being homeless at some point, like you are not at all obligated to answer this question specifically, but you're doing pretty well. Right. Yeah, yeah, I do well. Okay. Yeah, I, I, but I'm conditioned, though. So I grew up missing meals, not having electricity. I remember one point we didn't have gas for seven months. 
And so um, okay. I can li- I'm comfortable living below my means. So I have a very modest lifestyle. I got rid of my car. I ride a bike. You know, those kind of things. And so you're doing that in order to sort of be able to get to a point where you are effectively retired. Right. And you are able to simply paint for yourself. Right. And I'll still do shows and contribute to the community. Okay. And I'll still do educational work. Um, Which does pay. Yeah, yeah. All that pays. So um, none of that's an issue. But it's more of like, because painting-wise, what I want to paint and express isn't selling. Plain and simple. Okay. um, Which is large-scale you know, documenting things through an abstract, but a, I always say like I paint like a traditionalist, you know, going all the way. I just follow the, the routine that started back in the Renaissance and I'm painting like that, but in 2016. So I'm a very like, you know, straightforward painter. I can paint for myself. I can paint for somebody. I can connect with people through my paintings. I can paint symbolically, all these things, but the idea that I wanted to do, the culmination of all this, is larger scale paintings that I can dictate and I know exactly what they're going to be. And if somebody wants to show them, cool. If not, then that's okay. You know, they'll right. just write about it when I'm dead. You're truly working for yourself. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Again, we're here with Brian Christopher Moss. We'll be back to talk about Brian's inspiration and also the current show that's up at the Wexner Center for the Arts. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Julep, opening in the Short North. You can check out this new bar in a newly renovated space this Friday, September 23rd, and sample their craft kitchen menu. Tickets are available for this sneak peek right now at columbusunderground.com. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us at info at theconfluencecast.com. Back to the interview. I'm back here with Brian Christopher Moss, uh, artist, educator, muralist. Brian, talk about some of your inspiration, inspirations, motivators. Um, A lot of that derived when I was younger. So, you know, when you're growing up in like a home with a lot of people and you only have a couple of bedrooms, last thing you want to do is be inside and around all that. Okay. So definitely outside, um, talking to people, nature is a big part of that um the balance you know new york city is not a good balance for me okay um, it's too much city too much concrete not enough green you know so there's definitely a balance well, is that, that it or is it, i mean my experience there has been sort of it's it's um it's difficult to live you know it's difficult to get groceries home because you got to do it every day right yeah yeah i remember one time i was in new york city and like here in columbus there's a connotation if you're like pushing a cart with like groceries that's like, you're not doing well. Right. <laughs> I saw it there. I was like, it was normal. I was like, hold on, wait, the socialization is down to this point where well, everybody, everybody's <laughs> got one of those carts right by the front door <laughs> that sort of folds up and it seems like the perfect size cart to put right. like four right. 12 packs of PBR right. in. Right, dude, right. Dude, it was completely like bewildering for me. I said, man, I can't do this, but I'm not a snob. I just like grew up in Columbus, I guess, where I'm like, when you're pushing a cart, it's symbolic of not doing well. Right, you've got that. You've got that Midwest mentality. Right, 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 right. So, um, what about artists specifically? Oh man, um, so I traveled to Spain. So saw all of Goya's work. That was life changing. Um, surprisingly, you know that who I really liked a lot when I got to uh, Paris was uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Really? Yeah, uh, da Vinci's work actually stunned me. I was like, 
holy shit, this guy's actually really fucking amazing. Well, <laughs> and that's like so uh, yeah. generic, you know what I mean? But there's a reason why they the, the glow to him as a master. Yeah, the, the glow is real. <laughs> when they talk about his paints and glow, it's true. Right. Um, but locally, uh, well, he's recognized um, internationally, but uh, Jeff Smith, uh-huh. Paul Pope, uh, this is more of a comic book thing, right? Okay. Um, uh, and then there's a lot of illustrators that I'm really into. Um, let's see here, George Pratt, um, Bill Sinkovich. I can run off names for days, but uh, these guys are like typically like uh, technicians. What they do when they create work, it's they're using traditional techniques and it's traditional method executing really high quality work. Um, and they usually work in a lot of different media. Um, another local, but going back to local, I would say the there's two specific key people you can uh, align me with, which is uh, Fioris West and Amina Robinson. Okay. Uh, with Fioris West, he's a professor at uh, was a professor at OSU. He's not doing too well right now, so but he's getting better, so that's a good thing. Um, uh, he went to Yale, so think of like a black man teaching at OSU who went to Yale when he was like I think like 22 something insane. Um, so this guy's just like a genius. Also, um, but he's not local. He's from Philadelphia, I think, but he has been here since, I think, the 80s. Anyway, the other one, Amina Robinson, um, I was obviously her work was pervasive growing up. I met her when I started the museum, so like in 2000, 2001, sorry. And she was one of the first people I met. And for being, and at that point, she had a show in Chile. Um, she was at the Brooklyn Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was already well into doing her thing, you know. And the cool thing about Amina is that, um, but this was before she got that Genius Award. So she was... Again, Amina Robinson was a recipient of the MacArthur Genius Grant. Mm-hmm. And so she... Yeah, sorry to shorthand that everybody. I assume no, everyone just, knows. Just for clarity. Yeah. So Amina, I remember I was working on the dock at the museum. At this point, I was just working in security. Okay. Um, this was like... I wasn't even part-time. I was working like, I think, eight hours a week. And she came in with uh, Carol Ginshaft. And... She was like, oh, and I, I didn't even, I've never seen her before. And I was, she was like, I said, uh, she was like, oh, you draw? I said, yeah, yeah, I draw all comics. She's like, oh, I love comics. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, I always, I, I just always like reading them, looking at them. And I was like taken back because when I found out I was Amina and she liked comics, I'm like, oh, this is kind of awesome, you know, because you wouldn't assume that. Right. Um, and like I said, I couldn't, it was all coming to me at one time, like, oh, this is Amina Robinson. Oh, she likes my work and she likes comics. So anyway, one of the also one of the few nationally recognized Columbus-based artists. Yeah, exactly. Her Elijah Pierce are two of the few. Right. So she um, would come in all the time and obviously critique my work, conversation and critique. That's what we call it now. Okay. And she would also give me feedback. And I think one of the most exciting things she ever told me personally was that when I was, I saw her exhibition that she had at the museum. And I said, oh, I really like this character. I would love to put him in a comic. She said, you could put any of your characters in my comic. I mean, any of my characters in your comics. I said, that would like, I felt like warm. Like she gave me a, like a hug, like a, <laughs> like well, the, the art co-signist. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was one of those things where I was like, you know, to the moon. So it was really cool. Yeah. What else? Uh, I mean, do you, getting back to sort of your path, do you view your work as sort of working to get to uh, a, a place of stature that Amina had? 
Uh, uh, well, it's kind of like uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. And um, I don't mean this arrogantly, but and I can speak further about this, but I, I think I'm the greatest artist alive. And what I mean by that is like you got to speak these things to, into existence and have confidence, you uh -huh. know? So it's not a matter of if I become the greatest artist or not. It's just a matter that like it creates a drive and an ambition. So my goal... Well, and a responsibility. Yeah, and a responsibility. Beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate that, Tim. And so it's one of those things where it's like there's a path that's... Because I did this series of comics for the Alive, is six, and I documented all the artists in Columbus, um, six different artists. And what I gathered is that what a lot of them did, they left, and this would just be for travel. So it might be six months um, to a year, and then they come back, and then they bring these new techniques and the things they learned into the community. Okay. Okay. Um, Amina, when she went to... Did she go to Jerusalem? Yes. She, yeah. And so when she traveled... She referred to it as her pilgrimage. Yes. Came back. And so, um, you know, a few artists travel to Ghana, go over to uh, France because he can speak um, French. And then he brings this information back as an artist. Um, so I know this is a path that's already um, ingrained into Columbus. And so that's my trajectory. You use and I'm sorry, when you were documenting these artists, these were um, not current day artists. These were... Uh, past artists that yeah. have some Columbus relationship. Yeah, they're okay. all local artists. Um, so the last and we will link this series if I can find it. Oh yeah, uh, it's up in the in the show notes for the episode as well. Yeah, and um, the cool thing about that is what I learned is that there's the blueprint to that. Um, so Columbus becomes this hub, a satellite, um, because it's affordable to live here. So you can travel. Um, you can being afford a, to travel. Yes, thank you. As a full time artist, and pull this information and bring it back. And it gives you an authority because uh, what because it's like going back to that unique snowflake. Like you are bringing something back. You are bringing something new. And these are the things that when you live in a, you know, because we're, we're 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 pretty much you know Columbus is pretty specific. You know, like we have our thing going on. So it's important to do that at this point to bring stuff back, bring information back, bring techniques back, bring artists in these kind of things. What uh, what would you like to see Columbus do from a, from a sort of a civic standpoint? What would you like to see Columbus do in order to encourage more artists here? Um, or are we doing some pretty good shit now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're actually. I think it's really healthy. I think it's amazing. So like, what 400's doing is really cool. Um, what? Well, basically, anyone who has a. It's funny because people might it might chop their ass or something. Why I said earlier about group thing. But it's kind of, so I'm kind of contradicting myself, but the fact that we have these things, these collectives where people can go to, because those are necessary for startup artists. They, you know, if you're 20 and you want to do art, you should go over here to 400 well, or you go need to, to any of these other locations. To, you know? to be somebody starting out, you need, you need guidance. Yeah, 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 you know? exactly. And that, that group think is, uh, while, while may not be good for an established artist, um, it, it helps to foster the growth of an individual artist. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I always refer people to... I mean, there, there, it, throughout art history, there are schools of artistic thought yeah. that, you know, so-and-so is from this school of thought. Mm -hmm. and yeah, you can trace it back. You can take it back all the way. Hopefully, I'm able to use this as a little bit of a transition. You've been doing some educating on uh, the current exhibition that's up at the Wexner Center, Leap Before You Look, uh, Black Mountain College. 
Tim, that, Tim, by the way, you're good because like you remember like the long titles. I just say Black Mountain. Like you're so good at this. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, and I'd like to point out no one can see, but I don't even have it. No, I, I couldn't do the years. I can vouch. <laughs> I, I couldn't do the years of, of what the retrospective is. But talk about um, Look Before You Leap and uh, Black Mountain College and what what that exhibition is uh, and what it uh, what a, uh, a, a viewer can expect from it. So it's a collection of work from Black Mountain College and what Black Mountain College is, it's the first interdisciplinary school. I so hate that word. Okay. But go ahead and say it for me, Tim. Uh, it's the first interdisciplinary. Yeah, thank you. School. And so um, with art being what it was known for, it also still had things like your classic, you know, math, science, all these kind of things, right? Um, the interesting thing is that when the Bauhaus school ended, um, 33, because of the war and everything ramping up over in Germany, uh -huh. um, one specific person, Joseph Albers, um, was invited to start teaching at Black Mountain. And what that did... Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the important things about um, Albers and his wife, Ani, the important thing of what... Because when he first came, he couldn't sp speak English, so his okay. wife was doing all the translation. And the beauty about what he brought was he's bringing that Bauhaus tradition, right? Now, if you think about this time, 33, so we have Rothko just starting out. We have the abstract expressionists. So this is America just getting its footing. Right. Okay. In, in contemporary art. Yeah. Well, frankly, if, <laughs> For you us if you define contemporary art the way the, it's supposed to be, it wasn't even contemporary yet. <laughs> yeah, this is us coming out of the caves <laughs> at this point in the right. art world. Right. <laughs> so... Um, and what would happen is... By the, the way, we could only do it by uh, transplanting people here. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. In order to generate art. Exactly. Or us sending our finest abroad and bringing them back, you know, right. and claiming Which them. Which speaks to what you were talking about before, yeah. too, though. Yeah, exactly. So, but that doesn't mean Columbus is coming out of the caves. We're well established. We're, we're good. So, the exhibition is a collection from the school from 33, I want to say, and it closed in 56 i apologize if that's inconsistent but once again incorrect you, know. you mean and i'm looking yeah. it up right this moment thank you so with this um exhibition 1933 to 1957 oh i was a year off okay that, that's not bad pretty darn good i think yeah yeah because you gotta remember i i don't the reason i don't write things down is because i have to i have to absorb so much information i train myself to literally memorize everything right so um but I have an emotional attachment to these things. So anyway, um, the exhibition, you'll see Albers, Annie, and then as you go through the exhibition, uh, you'll see collections. You'll, you'll have one, two, two galleries of the collection from um, all the artists. And it was also um, a, pedag a pedagogy method, which is like the relationships between the teachers and the students. Okay. Um, where uh, you, they both learn from each other. Okay, and you'll see this in the work. So Albers isn't an authority. Um, you might see a painting by Jacob Lawrence, and that's held in the same standard. Even well, because it's simply sort of, I would almost think of it as a lineage of this, this person taught this person, this person begot this person. Yeah. And sort of this is how uh, 
I think it's interesting. I haven't, frankly, I haven't seen the show yet, but I always think it's interesting to look at a master and a student, and then that student becoming a master and who that person taught, right? And sort of the evolution of the work. And you, and from what you're saying, that's what you can see in the show, right? Yeah. Um, and with that, um, at the end of the exhibition, you have a. It's really cool because you have uh, a stage, and it has um, a performance you know, a video, and they actually will be having performances there with a grand piano. Okay. So it's like not in the traditional sense of a Wexner exhibition that you're familiar with where everything's like wall-to-wall with art. It's just or visual art, right. Yeah, it's like there's other components to this. And it kind of merges and marries all of those things together that the school was known for, even though the art is what's promoted. Right. But you'll still see Well, and let's be fair to the Wexner Center in that, uh, full disclosure, I worked at the Wexner Center for five years. I think they do a pretty good job of integrating uh, other mediums of art, meaning performance art, video art, into exhibitions to sort of draw this line of contemporary art is not just a painting. Right. Or not just a print or a sculpture. Um, And it's good to hear that that tradition continues. Mm -hmm. I want to wrap up with... What are um, other things in Columbus that you think that people should be uh, consuming in terms of art or in terms of what what you enjoy consuming? Got you. Um, I enjoy nice long bike rides. Uh I'm being sincere. (laughs) Long walks. Uh I'm being serious. I think you should do a lot more of that, everyone. Okay. Outside that that sun, that vitamin D thing, really good. So, uh, but also, uh, I like the communal aspect. Like... Uh, Columbus is like a big town, small city, they say. Right. Uh, so that town aspect of like walking around, conversing, you know, seeing people, I think that's healthy. I like little little nooks too. So I like the idea of like the main library being open again, having access to that. And there's this... Is uh, the Amina piece back up? Yeah. The yeah. staircase? Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure if it's um, exactly the same structure. Okay. But, you know, it's there. It's okay. Up. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's one of those kind of things where within the community, just the idea of like, what people have to learn is like, stop being cynical. And this is another thing too. There's this, um, people are very territorial. They fight over, cause you gotta remember, I work for Wexner CCAD in the museum, right? right? So I, I have a pretty- The three competing. <laughs> yeah, the three. Contemporary art. Right, so I should be hung, right? At this point, they're like, <laughs> what? you traitor, you traitor, you traitor. But the reality of it is, is that there's no reason to fight there's a lot to go around and what I mean by that is that it's not there's no reason for the malice and these kind of things because a lot of times people can get like cynical about the art community but it's like no be fortunate that you can because like I said my friends in New York they're like having a heist they're all leaving you know they're they're getting the hell out because it's like they can't afford it so the money you're making is going to all these other people that don't even care so like the idea of it being the, your money being cycled back into the community, even if it's not directly for the arts, recognize that, you know, the idea of this Independence Day festival and these kind of things help facilitate the art. So it's like to keep it positive is my point. Absolutely. Right. And I don't mean that in some like hippie way. I'm being like serious, like, you know, like be positive, enjoy, just enjoy the fact that you can make art because that's what I enjoy. Absolutely. And I think it shows. Hopefully that's the goal. Yeah. You know? Uh, you can see more of Brian's art uh, in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Tim. Appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on Brian's work and the other things we discuss in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite artist. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a good week.